and we are good. So we're live now. All right. Bye. Welcome back, everybody. This is a Let's Have a Sip podcast. I'm your host, Sean, and today's guest is Stephen McClellan. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. Doing good. How you doing? Good. I'm doing well. Let's get this ball rolling. So, how's everything going, bud? Whew, it's good, man. It's always good. It's usually busy, but uh, but it's good. I wish I didn't say. I need to get out of the habit of saying that, you know. Like that, I'm busy, but good. But uh, yeah, sometimes that's how it is. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I know you're always busy, man. You got the, uh, you know, you're a school teacher. You got coaching basketball, which I'm sure the season's over for y'all now, right? Yep. Ended about a month ago. So. Okay, I got gotcha. you. And yeah, yep. you're always always ever since i've known you have been writing so yep. I, I know i know that's your that's your that's your grind right there so i know you're never not busy so it's not a problem at all i love it so yeah yep. yep. how about you man everything good uh, yeah yeah just just working and then uh you know diving into this project with the podcast I'll, i'm super excited about it i just i, yeah. I love doing stuff like this and uh i'm just kind of excited to see where it's going to going to take me and what uh, doors is going to open and just excited for conversations like we're having now. So, um, yeah, I'm awesome. pumped for it, but, yeah, um, awesome. yeah. So, uh, kind of explain, uh, you know, introduce yourself, um, explain, you know, what you're all about and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, my name is Stephen McClellan and, uh, I, I say, if you want titles, you know, I want the labels, I'm an educator, I'm an advocate, author, uh, husband, I've been married six years now. Going in my sixth year, I've been teaching. This is my tenth year teaching. Uh, we live in Tennessee, so uh, Southern born and bred, and um, so that's where I'm at right now. This is my fourth year of pursuing a writing career. So, uh, so you could say it's fourth year of, of being a published author. So, um, so yeah, I used to talk to Megan, my wife, about that uh, about seasons, right? About coming like, season four of being an author, season thirty-five of life. You know, like if it's a TV show, I don't know how that helps me, but uh, but yeah, so it's it's kind of cool, man. I've I've been blessed um, to have the career that I have and and have the opportunities that I had to pursue something I'm passionate about. So that's just kind of where I'm at right now. Cool, cool. So um, so y'all are based in Cleveland, Tennessee. So and um, for those of you that don't know. Uh, I lived in Cleveland, Tennessee for like half of my life, and uh, I met, actually met Stephen when we were uh, in college, so mm -hmm. known you for about, oh shoot, what year did I graduate? So I graduated in 2014, so 2010, I think? Yeah, I was about to say, around that time. So it's been well over a decade, which is crazy yeah. to think about, so you know, time, time is flying. Yeah. Time is flying. Crazy, so, well, but, um, yeah, it's wild. But yeah, so say again, how, how long did you say that you've been teaching? So 10 years, 2012 10 years. was my first year. Yes, yeah, so this is 10 years. And you know, after year one, I was like, I don't know if I'll be doing this a long time. You know, we'll see. And then, you know, then 10 years in, here we are. So, uh, yeah, so it's been crazy. Time definitely goes quickly. Yeah, so I know you've been, so you've been teaching for 10 years, and I know that you've kind of moved around quite a bit. Um, you know, kind of, kind of uh, tell everybody, you know, your, your, uh, your journey with your um your, um, since you've been teaching, like what you've been doing and stuff like that. Cause I know it's very interesting, um, to me. Yeah. I, uh, it's been, it's been unconventional, you know, I think you can give advice and then, um, and then you start to see how all bets are off. Right. When, uh, when you're just following what you feel like you should be doing. And so, um, 
So I've learned my journey has been kind of unconventional. But yeah, I went to four different colleges. Uh, a lot of it was basketball driven, graduated and then um, taught two years at a private school that I'd actually graduated from. But then felt uh, there's a position that opened up in Indonesia. And so my parents were already living in Bandung, Indonesia. And um, and so I was able to move over there, teach there for two years, lived with them, taught there. That was a really cool journey. Then moved back and taught at a public school for two years. Uh, and when I moved back, I was teaching an alternative class, which was essentially a class for kids who at risk kids who had um, who, was, who were basically one stop away from custody being taken out of uh, to custody being taken away from their parents and moved out of the home. And so that was something I wasn't used to that, that type of student that I was uh, used to dealing with. And so taught two years in that classroom and then ended up going back again to the very first school that I taught at uh, and taught for a year and then decided, no, that's not for me. And so finally I've landed back in Cleveland and I've uh, been there three years since. So, uh, so yeah, so I've jumped around a bit, uh, you know, here in the U S internationally, uh, private school, public school, but now we're kind of settled down here at a, a public school in Cleveland and, and we like it, you know, so it, it's, it's good. We've kind of found some stability and for now it's, it's good. We don't have any, uh, you know, immediate plans to move. So that's nice. Yeah. I gotcha. So yeah. what, what has been, um, so obviously you said that you were teaching, um, teaching at a public school and then you transitioned to go into Indonesia. So, so I, I, don't, I don't know if I caught that or not, but Whenever you're in Indonesia, were those uh, are they like strictly public schools or like how, how does that work? Like, because I know you, know you got public schools in the U.S., you got private schools, blah blah blah, whatever. Um, so I don't know if I'm yeah, that was uh, it, but that was um, it, it was similar uh, similar structure. Obviously, the way that schools run is different, but when it comes to private school and public school, it's kind of the same setup. So uh, so Indonesia has private schools that would be similar to ours here, um, K through twelve schools. You know, kindergarten through twelfth grade. So technically, the school I was at was um, was a uh, international school, um, and so I was trying to think. My mom, I was trying to think of the correct verbiage, but yeah. So it was a uh, so it was an international school, and um, it means technically, you know, kids from you know all over the country, um, all over the world could come and attend. And so, um, so but it was considered private. And so yeah, it was K through twelve private school. And so a lot of the kids we had, uh, so it was a smaller demographic, you know, most public schools are a lot bigger, private schools are smaller. So, uh, so similar to, to the first school I taught at in the U S but I tell people just the Indonesia version of it. So, uh, okay. uh, so yeah, so a similar structure, uh, similar setup, um, as in what you taught and the type of topics you covered. Um, you know, I didn't speak Indonesian, I, you know, taught in English. But uh, just the you know, it was Indonesian students, Indonesian school. So obviously the culture is different, but it's in the actual schooling itself is really similar. So okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, um, yeah, man, that's cool. Yeah, because I remember, I remember actually dropping you off one day. I think it was like, you know, you, you and Megan. I don't think y'all were like a fish. Uh, you may have been engaged. I don't. Well, did y'all? When did y'all get engaged? Because I know yeah, was, I was moved, it after you got back. I moved in 2014, and a year in. That's when I came back in 2015 for summer break. Uh, when I went back, I knew Megan was the one I wanted to be with. So then I started my second school year in Indonesia and we got engaged that fall. So fall of two, actually winter of 2015. Okay, I got you. But yeah, so winter of 2015, then I moved back in 2016 and got married uh, fall of 2016. Okay, cool. 
I, I can still remember, like, it, I don't know, it just stuck in my brain. I just remember dropping you off at the airport one day, and I was like, well, all right, bye, Stephen. Hope you come back, because if not, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy, man. I, it was wild that that was like six years ago, and you, uh, I don't know, with COVID and the way things are now, just the thought of moving overseas and teaching like it's no big deal like that just is kind of, uh, quite literally foreign, right? To, yeah. to think that now, just because it's just a different world. But yeah, it, it was definitely. I still tell people the, the coolest, uh, one of the most impactful, you know, journeys of my life so far. So that was a cool two years. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, yeah. So what I really want to dive into is, uh, you know, your books. I <laughs> really want to talk about those. So I mean, I just recently got done um, uh, reading this bad boy right here. Oh, other side. Uh, this bad boy right here. The space between fire and ashes. Um, and it was clutch that you were able to, you know, get that put onto Audible because um, my commute for work is. A little crazy so um i got a lot of time to spend in the morning and the evening so um having that on audible was, was super clutch um you know and two dance another good one uh i i still remember when i first started reading reading the uh, the book yeah and i was actually talking to somebody about it earlier um so i was getting i was traveling for work out to ohio and i'm reading the book and um you know about 30 minutes in i'm like dude this is too emotional right now for me to be reading this because nobody wants to see a grown man cry in a plane. So yeah. I'm gonna have to read this later. But I remember um, you telling me that. That was good. I said success. I've done something right, you know. Yeah, so and um yeah. So why don't you kind of like uh you know talk about your journey with uh you know how you've gotten to the points where you're at with your novels and uh, your children's yeah. books and uh, you know what what they're about. Yeah. So, uh, so I played college basketball and, um, you know, I think for anybody that's had a, a dream they pursued, especially through college, um, you don't really know what it's like to end that dream. And uh, for me, when, when basketball ended at the end of college, I, I knew it was time to hang up the shoes. I, I was at peace with that, but I didn't expect the mental and emotional kind of void that it left. And so, um, so for me personally, you know, when that ended, I was like, here's a dream I've had for nearly 20 years. I've had it my whole life. Now it's done. And so, uh, and so, you know, we think of dreaming as, as what kids do, right? You know, and, and, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and uh, you know, what's the dream? And, and we don't think about adults doing the same thing and about learning how to reinvent yourself. And so I realized that's what I need to do. You need to reinvent yourself. You need to teach yourself how to dream again. And, and so I need that something. I knew teaching was significant work and, and I knew that was important, you know, impacting youth, but it wasn't the bigger vision. I felt like I need something motivating me and driving me and compelling me, you know, uh, to, you know, every morning when I wake up. And, uh, and so I knew I needed something. And so through some self-analyzing and, and assessing and um, some heart checks, and, and it became very clear very quickly that writing was the, uh, was the outlet and the one thing I wanted to do. I'd always loved to write since I was a kid, you know, through high school, through college, but it wasn't anything serious. And it wasn't until I was preparing to move overseas. It was in 2013 that I started writing children's books, Dr. Seuss style. It was fun. It was entertaining. Um, I had submitted books to publishers, you know, some of those children's books, but I had no luck. And so, um, so through 2014 and 2000, 2013 and 2014, I'd started submitting children's books and, um, and I'd been rejected quite a few times. And so it wasn't until I moved to Indonesia that I said, I want to take, you know, a little stab at writing a full length novel. And so in 2015, I sat down and wrote you know, my first novel just to get one out on paper and it wouldn't be the first one i published but it just showed me you know you you can do this you have that ability and so when i moved back from indonesia um, it was interesting since 2013 i had been submitting you know children's books to be published with no luck 
I had uh, I had started to submit, you know, to dance. Um, and so I'd had, I had no luck for nearly five years. And then in 2017, twice in a week, I had uh, two different publishers uh, agree to publish the work. So uh, I got an email back uh, for to dance and a, uh, a publisher called Christian Faith Publishing agreed to publish that. And then uh, a children's book I'd submitted one you got right there, The Bat and the Mule. Uh, another publisher named Lighthouse Publishing, they'd agreed to publish that. So it was kind of cool that, you know, five years straight, you know, you hear nothing and, or rejection after rejection. And then twice in a week, you know, you get, you know, things kind of seem to come together. So uh, so I did. I published To Dance in 2018. And then Bat and the Mule would take longer to have the illustrations done and a lot of different, you know, elements that went into that. So that would be published. Uh, it wouldn't be till 2021 uh, that we released that. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. So then... After those two, you know, I had another book, The Space Between Fire and Ashes, that was uh, in the works, and I decided to release that um, uh, in 2021 as well. So The Battle of the Mule came out in February, uh, Fire and Ashes came out in August, and so yeah, so I've got two novels, one children's book, To Dance is, is considered Christian fiction, uh, The Space Between Fire and Ashes is young adult contemporary, and then of course The Battle of the Mule is, you know, uh, children's literature, which is, you know, children's picture books. Cool, man. Yeah, so I know, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you make literally zero profit from these books, correct? Yeah, I don't. And, um, you know, I for me, it was that was part of the vision. When I developed and I said, what do I want to do? Um, you know, and I, I realized writing was the bigger vision. It was more than just, well, become famous or uh, yeah, I think everybody would love to be famous. That, that'd be awesome. But it was more, it, it was deeper than that. And so I started really developing the vision and seeing, hey, what exactly do I want this to look like? And I, you know, I realized, you know, what am I going to do with what I've been given? You know, John Maxwell, if I could harp on my, if I could preach for a little bit here, John Maxwell, author, speaker, uh, I heard him and this kind of summarized it really well. He said, you know, the, the purpose of life, in his opinion, was to find yourself and to lose yourself. And it was really odd when I heard him say that because I, I what does that mean? Right. But he said, um, when you find yourself, it's when you discover who you are, you know, you discover your talents, your passions, your gifts, your abilities, what brings you the most fulfillment, the greatest joy, what makes you come alive. You know, you kind of find yourself, you know, um, discover who you are. But he said, when you lose yourself, it's when you take all those things and you reinvest them into areas where eternal factors are involved or you, you lose yourself, per se, in a cause that's bigger than yourself. Right. Uh, and something that is, you know, goes beyond you and has impact that resonates, you know, uh, beyond you. And so, um, and so simply that you could break that down to say, what are you doing with what you've been given? You know? And so for me, I said, well, what does that look like in my own life? How am I going to take my passion for writing and then reinvest it, you know, into something that is, you know, maybe a bigger cause or, you know, serves a purpose that, uh, stretches just beyond what I love to do. And so after some, you know, analyzing and, and pondering and, and kind of uh, really imagining, you know, what I wanted this vision to look like. I, I came up with a phrase um, that, you know, I wanted to really reinvest the money from each book into different local or global humanitarian projects, you know, not only to support the organizations financially, but to raise awareness for their causes. And so I decided to have this kind of short model, you know, one project, one book, uh, you know, every, every book I would write, I would choose a different organization. And I would say all the money that, from that book will be reinvested into that organization. Uh, and uh, that way, you know, I can support them. We can, you know, uh, you know, raise money for them. We can bring awareness to their cause. We can shed light into the work they're doing. And for me, that was a way of saying, um, you know, there's a bigger purpose. I want you to be impacted by the words I write, but I want you to know that also 
you know, when you buy a book, the money is also being reinvested into areas that um, some, some that a lot of people don't know about. And uh, the catchphrase I really came up with was, so others may dream. That was kind of the phrase that I used to kind of explain my vision, so others may dream. And, and the thought behind that is that, uh, you know, even waking up and dreaming, that's a privilege. Like we don't even think twice about having the opportunity to wake up um, every morning and, and think about, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want to dream of? Uh, but that's a privilege a lot of kids don't have, you know, around the world, whether it's sickness, death, war, poverty, you know, slavery. There's a lot of different elements that prevent kids from ever even having the opportunity to dream, of, you know, what they want to do one day who they are, who they were created to be, who they want to become. And so I just thought, I mean, I want to give back life. I want to give kids an opportunity to dream again. And so uh, so others may dream became kind of the catchphrase. And uh, so, yeah, so that, that's part of the vision is every book I write, you know, I, I go through the process of writing the book. And then before I publish it, I uh, really brainstorm and think about what organization that I want that book to represent. So, um, so yeah, so every book, not out of a pride thing or a... Uh, Oh, holier than thou. You know, it's more of a my personal conviction was here's what I'm going to take what I love to do and I'm passionate about. And just for me personally, this is how I'm going to reinvest it into a you know, bigger cause. So thankfully, teaching puts money on the table uh, or puts food on the table, you know, uh, and then um, writing is a way to fulfill my passion as well as reinvest it into, you know, a bigger vision. Yeah, for sure. So now I always like to play devil's advocate. You know, yeah. whether it be like if me and my girlfriend are talking or just, you know, in general, whatever, she does the same yeah. thing to me as well. Um, but uh, so now, how do you know that this money is being put to good use? Like, so you're, you're, you're donating all the profits from a book. So we'll just start with two okay. dances. That was the first one. It's going to um, like what organization did two dance go to? So, yeah. So uh, to dance, the organization is called Compassion First and they're based actually in Indonesia. And so they their whole goal is to aid sex trafficking survivors and prevent sex trafficking in Indonesia. OK, so how do you know 100 percent without a doubt that that money is actually being uh, like it's actually being helped to aid in that? Yeah, I know. It's a good question. I That's kind of one thing I'm particular about, because I know when I would donate to people and I would donate to organizations or I'd have people contact me, I wanted to know the same thing. I want to know, hey, is the money that I'm taking, is it being reinvested? Uh, and so a big part is relational. Um, the organizations that I represent, I don't just uh, want to blindly, um, you know, donate. I, I, make, I contact them. I get to know who they are as an organization, what the vision is behind the work they do. I ask for, you know, um, statistics and and even how their money is appropriated within the organization. Um, usually whoever founded the organization or who are the key members of it, I usually develop personal relationships with them. And uh, and so with Compassion First, for example, that actually was through a connection that my dad had through his ministry overseas in Indonesia. And so he actually, yeah, so he actually knew someone inside the organization personally and um, and so it was interesting because every um, also look for that. I think there's no accidents. I believe that things happen for a reason and there's purpose in it. And so uh, so it's kind of worked out that every organization I've had so far to represent the book, there's been kind of a neat story with how I was connected and compassion. First, I was literally as I was sitting at the dinner table pondering what I wanted the organization to represent or what organization I wanted to represent through the book. Uh, my dad started talking about this crazy story he had met. Uh, how he'd met this woman and um, this woman who uh, worked for Compassion First, which at the time I'd never heard about. And then he said uh, he went on to tell the story about how this woman 
had uh, met a mother who, who had lost her little girl to sex trafficking and had never seen her again. And this woman took it on herself as a personal vendetta to go um, to different islands in Indonesia to find this girl and to bring her back home to her mom. And, um, and this was the woman my mom, my dad had met, and she worked for this organization, Compassion First. And so I said, oh, is that any secret here? I'm wondering what organization I want this book to represent. And then I hear this story and, uh, and, and sex trafficking is, is, you know, billions of dollars are, are spent every year in that, um, unfortunately, you know, in that trade. And so it's like, I knew that was a major problem that not a lot of people knew about or focused on. And so I contacted this woman uh, that my dad knew and formed a relationship with with her and their team and uh, really got to know the organization. And then from there, just, you know, um, just went on to partner with them. So, yeah, so it's, your, it's personal to me. If I, if I don't have a personal connection to you, if I have questions about where your money goes, um, you know, even after looking at your website and, and talking to you personally and, and asking a lot of questions, if I still have question marks in my mind, then I tend to, you know, um, you know, step aside and, and pursue another outlet. Um, so it's only when I have that piece that I that I feel confident in where the money's being reinvested that that I go with that. So, so yeah, okay. and and there is that element of trust, right? You know, I mean, you you could hear the right responses, you could read the right statistics, and at the end of the day, I think there's that element of, um, you know, you can only do so much in your own power to you know find out information on your own, and then the rest you do have to just place faith in people. Um, so there is that yeah. element, you know, that you have to do a little bit of that, I believe. Yeah, because I'm always super skeptical about donating money to anything, um, you know, whether it be like going to the grocery store and do you want to donate money to the blah, 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 whatever. I'm like, nah, like, how do I know that money's actually going there? So I'm not just going to well, send my I, money. To I mean, that's a good money. point. And, and I'm big on that, too, that um, it's the same thing with a lot of different areas. You're, you're kind of selling yourself in that sense. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like if I'm saying, hey, here's where the money's going, here's where money's being reinvested, I'm putting my name on the line. And so I would tend to think that. Also, I realized that, hey, if I'm putting my name on the line and that organization, even though I'm representing them in the marketing I do and the promoting I do, I'm representing myself. And so I know that hey, if this organization is corrupt in any way or if the money is not being handled fairly, I know that's a, you know, that that represents me as well. Um, and so I'm, I'm, that's why I'm like, I also want my name represented well. And so that's why I go to extra effort to make sure that, yeah, that I'm uh, that I'm being wise in that decision making process. But. Um, so far, I've, I've felt at peace with the organizations they've, you know, that I've chosen. But yeah, that's something I always want to be aware of, you know, as I go forward. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Excuse me, I'm gonna pour a little bit of this. Hey, what are you working with there? So I am sipping on something. I need to be careful with this because this is a good bottle. Um, I don't want to drink all of it, but this is uh, Elijah Craig. This is a private barrel, and that's actually um, from Riverstone in Cleveland. So oh, nice. Um, I don't know what it is about that place, man, but they get some good stuff. So I'll have a couple of buddies of mine, like, kind of jump up there every once in a while if they uh, got some good stuff coming out. And I'll have them stag me a bottle and just ship it to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is super good. And I think I'm done with this for today because it's, uh, I don't, I don't want to, that's some good juice right there. So I don't, yeah. don't want to waste that because, uh, yeah, because I mean, all these bottles that you see behind me, like they're, you know, they're, they're not very easy to find and they're it's some good stuff. So, yeah. but um, yeah, Elijah Craig, private barrel, single barrel, exclusively from Riverstone in Cleveland, Tennessee. So shout out to Riverstone. I know you're probably not watching this, but uh, th <laughs> thanks for the, uh, thanks for the bottle. You never know. You yeah, never so, know. But uh, yeah, 
Yeah, that's what I'm sipping on, man. Some good stuff. I love whiskey. It's a problem. <laughs> it is a problem. Not like so much of a problem to where like, oh, I'm an alcoholic because that's uh, that's a you know a definite real problem uh, that people can have. But like, I just love taking a seat, you know, like we're doing right now, slowly sipping on some good stuff and just like really enjoying what I'm what I'm drinking. So yeah, you, yep. So nothing wrong with that. Yep. But yeah, yeah, man. So uh, I love it. I love the uh, the cause behind um, your 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 vision with all the books, and I, I've always supported you 100 percent with what you're yeah. doing because I just yeah. I just love it, man. And I, I've always enjoyed reading your books, and I'm really looking forward to uh, what you got next. Which brings me to my next question: um, You know, what, what future projects do you got going on right now? If you're able to talk about them. No, you're good. Yeah, I. Um, you know, it's interesting because. I'm kind of, I'm kind of that uh, you're kind of caught between you want to create a platform uh, for yourself. You want to gain some momentum and um, create some clout. And, and if you're trying to create, obviously, um, you know, a movement out of this, then you need uh, you need to be wise in how you create your platform. And I've talked to an agent before, a literary agent that, you know, said typically you want to uh, most authors create themselves and establish themselves within a certain genre. And then once they've established themselves in that genre, you know, Stephen King, the master of horror fiction, you know, when you say Stephen King, you think of that suspense and, you know, horror fiction. Um, you think of, you know, Nicholas Sparks, you think of, you know, romance, you know. Um, and, and they said, once you establish yourself, then you can branch off to, to different genres. But um, but I was never able to do that. And and I and it may not have been wise, but I have to write what I'm passionate about, where I feel my heart's taking me. So that's why, you know, it was never my plan for a Christian fiction novel to be my first one I released, because that's not the genre I prefer to write in, but that's what was released um, with To Dance. And then I really prefer a young adult and uh, young adult contemporary, and that's what The Space Between Fire and Ashes is. Um, and then children's literature, you know, that was, I've always been, I've always loved writing children's books. And so, so I have three different genres. I actually helped uh, write a chapter for a book on um, indie writing for, you know, indie authors who are trying to publish a book. I was asked to write, uh, to contribute rather a chapter, you know, for that. And so that's nonfiction, right? So I'm kind of dabbled in a little of, of everything, but, um, but I'm currently, I've, I've worked on a book that it's not poetry, but it's probably most aligned with, you had to put in a genre, a, a, like a modern fable. Um, and so, uh, so it's like 40 separate entries um, about there's 12 different siblings that live in a house together. Each sibling is uh, essentially persona, an emotion that's personified like love, hate, um, you know, peace. Um, and, and so it's like these 12 emotions uh, that tend to drive us, but they're personified as people. And so um, it's the conversations they have together throughout the day. Uh, so there's like 40 different entries. Um, so it's almost in a poem form, but it, it's done kind of as, I guess, a modern fable uh, that illustrates how these different emotions interact with each other and lessons we can learn from that. And so so that's a book I've never written before, that type of, of writing. But um, but I've got that and, and I'm still developing that idea. And it's out to some readers right now to give me feedback. And so um, in the meantime, I'm also working on a nonfiction piece. You know, uh, you know, how's my background, um, you know, with my faith and and I feel like at this point, there's so much going on in our world right now um, that is crazy and that is difficult to navigate through. And I think that if you're a person of faith or especially, you know, I'm a Christian. And, and I think if you're uh, especially a follower of Jesus in today's age, that it's it's tough to know how to navigate through issues and how to 
um, you know, if you're, if you're a believer in um, spiritual warfare about how to fight back against the enemy. And so there's a nonfiction piece that I'm working on about spiritual warfare and about how to fight, how to protect yourself and fight back against the enemy. Um, so, uh, so I'm working on that. And so, yes, yeah, so I'm kind of those two projects alone are way different than just the typical fiction novel that, that I've written before. So it's kind of an experiment. Um, but I'm passionate about both of them. So we'll see kind of where they go, you know, so I'm not in a hurry. There's no timeline. And, uh, so for now I'm just, you know, kind of working through each one of them and, uh, so yeah, we'll see where they go. Cool, man. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, like I said, always a big supporter of what you're doing and I'm ready to read those. So, um, you know, take your time with what you're doing, man. You know, you're doing a great job and everything I've, you know, with your short, career that you've had so far with um with writing books and novels and stuff like that and you know don't i, I know there's probably a difference between like book and a novel so you know excuse me if that's like um, no, you're good okay because I, I don't know if there's like I saw, I saw, I substitute them too so if there is a difference i'm in trouble because i substitute them as well okay so uh yeah I, i'm just i'm excited for you man so I, i'm i'm ready for that next book to come out and you know everything else after that and, yeah. Uh, thank, you. yeah. Thank, you. thank you. Yeah. That was so, but yeah. So I was thinking, um, I saw the other day, I think Megan, your wife had posted something on her Instagram you may have posted it as well, but I saw that, uh, there's a Stephen McClellan day at Lee university now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I, if it is, I'm all about it, but, uh, okay. I was going to say, is that real or did she make I, that shit? That I shit don't know. It, yeah. For whoever is listening, yeah, when I was at college at Lee University, uh, we were playing the number one ranked team in the country, Mountain State University. They, they'd had a reputation of being uh, known as, as just a powerhouse in NAIA, and, and they were uh, ranked number one in the country. And uh, and so we played them at home, and I hit a three-pointer with four seconds left that won the game. That was the first time I think Lee had ever beat a number one ranked team at home in the school's history. So, uh, you know, we stormed the court. It was the full works. It was it capped off a, a really great season uh, my junior year. So, uh, so it was the anniversary of that shot, and I think it was the 12-year. That was 2010. So, yeah, 12-year anniversary, and, and I heard that. Somebody was like, it's Stephen McClellan Day. And I was like, I don't know if that's a real thing, but um, it sounded good, you know, rolling <laughs> off the tongue. You know, just <laughs> I'm all about it. I'm there for it. You know, if that's what people want to call it, then I'm there for it. I feel like uh, I feel like it's probably not a real day then if they didn't even tell you. So um. No, it's probably not. <laughs> so that's what, and then you can't say it yourself because if you're like, oh, did you know it's Stephen McClellan Day? Then you can sound like, you know, you're – very very cocky so i'm like uh i'll just let other people call it that day hopefully every year um <laughs> hey i mean there's nothing wrong with being cocky if you can back it up you know Man. by all means but yeah well yeah some truth to that yeah good no i just happen to look down right now this is totally off topic but uh so my desk that i'm using was made in malaysia so um mm. have, you been, have you been to malaysia my parents so I, I say they lived in indonesia my parents lived in malaysia for two years Okay. And then uh, 2012 to 2014, and uh, then they moved from Malaysia to Indonesia in 2014. And about uh, three months after they moved, that's when I moved over and uh, lived with them. So, yeah, so I visited them when they were still living there. Uh, they lived on the island of Penang, um, which is off the coast of, of uh, Malaysia. It's considered it's obviously part of the country. But um, but, yeah, that's where they lived for two years. So I've been there just once, but it was it was cool, man. Yeah. I got you, man. Yeah, that's one thing I, me, me and Courtney, my girlfriend, have been talking about uh, a lot lately is, uh, you know, traveling more, not necessarily outside of the country, just with, yeah. you know, the way the world's going right now. 
don't think it's a very good idea, but, um, uh, you know, just traveling to, you know, different states that we've never been to, um, in the United States and, uh, you know, our next trip is going to be in June. Uh, I don't know if you remember Justin, Justin Philippone, uh, he's yeah. actually getting married and oh, nice. uh, so he lives in New York, been to New York before, but you know, you know, just going to a different state, getting out of town for a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we got, uh, it, it's not, this is tentative now, but we've been thinking about going to uh, Salem, Winston-Salem, Mass okay. Mass Massachusetts. Yeah, I think it's Massachusetts. Um, I feel silly. I don't even know where that's at now. Well, I think, it, well, Salem. Yes, I think Winston-Salem, Winston-Salem is North Carolina, but Salem, Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're thinking about going there for Halloween because that's where like Halloween. the uh, witch trials were uh, yeah so we thought that'd be kind of cool thing to do to go go up there and uh, experience halloween um during that time so super cheap. cool because yeah. you know as you know and um i don't know if anyone else knows but like, i grew up in new orleans and halloween was a big deal in new orleans and uh you know it was, grew up uh you know with a mom that was uh very um trying to think of a eccentric yeah like she all, all about the all about the holidays you know loves yeah. decorating loves experiencing life and stuff like that so you yeah. know she made sure i experienced halloween and um it was crazy because you know gr growing up this is this is a super crazy story i don't think i've ever told you this before but um so growing up one of my best friends his name was keith hales um i haven't talked to him in a long time so i don't even know what he's even into anymore but um, i don't know keith if he's listening right yeah so um, so he worked for his, uh, it's his uncle. No, it's either his uncle or his cousin. I can't remember, but his cousin or uncle at the time owned a haunted house in New Orleans called the house of shock. And at the time, the uh, haunted house was like the number one in the nation just for being the scariest. And I'm like, I don't think I want to go there. So, you know, being in elementary school, I'm like, nah, I'm good. E even now I'm just like, nah, I'm good. So... Um, cause I'm kind of a pussy when it comes to that stuff. But, um, so his cousin and or uncle, again, don't remember who it is, was the drummer for Pantera. Okay. And I'm sure you know who Pantera is, right? Yeah. I, apparently my mom would always drop me off at like this dude's house back whenever I was hanging out with them and I had no idea. I'm like, and she just told me like a year, a year or two ago. Or I, and I'm just like, That's why are you just story. now telling me this? I know, right? It was insane. So That's I was crazy. like, I was around him and potentially anyone else in the band. So it was just, it was just crazy, yeah. you know, wow. but crazy. No, you hadn't told me that before. Yeah. It was super weird, but kind of cool. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe you need to reconnect and see if there's uh, with Keith and, and be like, hey, uh, are the connections still there? You know? Yeah. Speaking of Keith, old big old Keith Dodd. Old big Keith. I wonder how he's doing. I haven't talked to him in a while. I texted him about the NASCAR race today. Um, it was It's in Atlanta. You went with us to Atlanta, right? I did. Yeah. It was my first race ever, and it was a shit show because we yes. tailgated for like six hours, and by the time we got into the show, oh, I was completely trash. So, <sighs> they, uh, they, yeah, that brings back memories. They uh, they race in Atlanta today, and so I text Keith, and okay. um, he apparently was watching the race too. So I don't. Know, I guess he's just hanging out the house watching the race right now. I got you. Once we're done with this, I'll have to give him a holler. Um, well, probably uh, probably not after this, but I actually have another interview. Um, after this, so oh, yeah, get, get the ball rolling, man. I'm hey, excited for this stuff, so, it, man. That's awesome. Um, 
Now, I, I think, was it Rob's or maybe you? I don't remember, but I think we're in a group text talking about going to Texas Motor Speedway. Yeah, well, I, now that you're out there, I was like, that's how far is Texas Motor Speedway from y'all? From us, from me, it's probably about like 50 minutes, 55, oh, depending man. on traffic. So, because like yeah, Texas Motor Speedway is right next to my job. So, because I was, you know, coming back, or excuse me, going to, uh, going home from work. And like the way that I would go home every day when I first got here was different because like, <laughs> I didn't know where I was going, so I was always using my GPS, and GPS usually just, you know, does its own thing, has its own mind. And um, yeah. this one day, I consistently kept going on the same road, and I noticed, I was like, you know, there's a lot of lights out there. I'm like, what is that? It's huge. And there's this big sign that I see one day, it's Texas Motor Speedway, and I'm like, that's where Texas Motor Speedway's at? You know, yeah. I'm not a big NASCAR fan or anything like that, but uh, I, I thought it was super cool. I was like, wow, that, that's super close. I should... You know, yeah, how no, you and the boys and probably I was serious. Meg and I were talking about going to see a race there, like when they uh, race out there. So we'll have to look at the dates. I think it's usually in the summertime. So, um, yeah, we need to check out that date and, and come out there and see you guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, we got room. You're more than welcome. Mm. Know if Keith and uh, and Keith and Rob's want to come down. You know, we'll, we'll make some room. So, um, yeah, yeah that'll be super cool to go to. And I don't, I don't think Courtney has ever been to a NASCAR race, so I'll have to ask her about that. But uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to introduce her properly then to the NASCAR. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't know this recently, but um, did you? I'm sure you probably know because you're a big NASCAR fan. But NASCAR was like uh, invented because of like moonshiners or something like that. Yeah, so bootleggers back when Prohibition in the 1920s, uh, they needed cars fast enough to outrun the cops, and uh, so soon you had these bootleggers that started competing against each other to see whose car was fastest, and uh, that's essentially yeah how the sport was born. So yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> If it wasn't Southern enough already, there you have it. <laughs> you know, so, I love it, man. I was when I taught because uh, I'm a history major. So when I would teach, you know, anytime I got to teach anything close to American history or the 1920s, I made sure to always include that uh, how NASCAR got its start. So, yeah, man, there you have it. What's that? Uh, it's in my head right now, but I can't put it out into words. But it's like as soon as the race is going on, someone's like saying some like silly like thing like. Um, probably Talladega, probably quoting a line from Talladega Nights, I would imagine. Oh, no, it's like an actual race, I think. Like, well, excuse me. It's an actual, like, saying they do, like, as soon as the cars are going. It's like, get, get, like do you know oh, what I'm talking about? Like, like a boogie boogie, let's go racing, boys. Yes. yes. <laughs> I remember. I'm just going through my head right now, and I'm like, yeah, okay. They've got an announcer, yeah. Oh, man. Um, Daryl Wallace, and he will. Okay. He will always, that's his opening line at the race. I've forgotten about that. I haven't heard him say that in a while. Like, I don't, he hasn't, uh, yeah, that brings back. I need, I need to pay attention now. He, he needs to get back in the game. What is he doing? No, I didn't. Well, yeah, that was his line, you know, and it was uh, boogity, boogity, boogity. He'd say it three times, let's go racing, boys. And that was his catchphrase. That's right. Look at you, Sean. See, you know about NASCAR. I know a little bit about everything. I'm a master of none. know a lot about little things here and there so um yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that that reminds me so me and courtney were at a, a friend's house earlier we're watching some march madness and um oh gosh what's that guy's name dan harlan i think commentator and okay. like i think that's his name i can't remember but he's the guy that like if a big play happens whether it be the nba ncaa whatever he's always like bang bang steph curry uh -oh. for the three like 
Yep. You know what I'm talking about? Yep, I do. I, I was do. I was talking about him earlier, and I'm like, you know, when he's gone, commentating's not going to be the same. It's just because it's that's all I've ever known when it comes to comes to that. So, but yeah, no, I, I feel you. And and speaking of Dickie V, uh, Dick Vitale, recovering from cancer, and uh, I think he they said he's cancer free now is what I oh. think the next report said. So they showed him in a couple of the games, and nice man, it's kind of emotional seeing him. You know. Uh, uh, but it was cool seeing him getting healthier. And so, yeah, that's another reporter that was these iconic, you know, reporters that, uh, but yeah, that was cool. Who did you pick? Did you uh, make out a bracket there speaking of? No, I'm lame. I didn't make one. Well, it's better than making one like Megan and I did and choosing Tennessee and then Tennessee losing in the second. <laughs> so You should have known better. Tennessee's not going to win. I don't know why I chose Tennessee. I, I, uh, I should have picked someone else. I, I, I don't know. I, that's what you get for not watching a college basketball season and then trying to make out a bracket. You know, I, I, I don't really remember the last time they were ever good at basketball, but, I mean, maybe they were good when, like, Jawan Smith and I wish. Yeah, those I wish. guys were there, and, like Brit, the Brittany Jackson era or yep. whatever. But um, Yeah, I yeah. Watched, didn't watch the whole season, but I, uh, I saw them win the SEC tournament, and I thought, man, this team ranked – you know what top 10 team in the country they they might actually take it and then i was reminded why i don't uh, pick them so yeah i saw chattanooga uh, utc got into the uh yeah the tournament. they got kicked out the first match and i was like well oh well whatever yeah they I actually watched that game and they should have won that game and uh lost by a point uh had one had led the whole game until the oh, it was one point that's it they led the entire game, and the first time they lost the lead was one minute to go. Oh, and they lost, so they shot had two shots at the buzzer to try to win the game and missed them both. Yeah. Uh, and you you played at UTC your I did. sophomore I, year? I went to the Air Force Academy prep school my, my first year. Technically didn't count as a year against me eligibility-wise, but then I played at UTC and then played at Lee to finish my career out. So, yeah, okay. UTC for a year. That was the Steph Curry days. Back when, <laughs> yeah, back at Davidson. Steph was at Davidson, yeah, and uh, so yeah, those were those were cool days. Actually, the year I played, you know, obviously we played him, but then the next year was when UTC would go, uh, would win the tournament and go to the NCAA tournament, or win the SoCon tournament and go to the NCAA. So I missed it. Uh, the year after I left was when they went to the NCAA tournament, um, but that was back in two thousand eight, so a uh, little ways ago, you know. Yeah, I think I remember that if. I think they played UConn, maybe? I don't know. They, played they, got, UConn. Demolished, they got demolished, so. They got beat by like 60. Yeah, so that was, no, this this game this year went a little bit better. So they, uh, I mean, it was impressive, and they played well. But, yeah, lost by one. So uh, could have been a big upset, but, but, oh, well. Yeah, whatever. I don't really follow sports as much as I used to. I probably should because it's like, you know, basketball was such a big part of my life for 10 years or whatever. I never played yeah. organized sports in elementary middle school, but, uh uh, once I got to high school, it was like, you know, started that and it was game on after that. Good times. Yeah. I miss it. But, uh, That's awesome. you know, it's like anytime I'm talking to dudes, like, hey, you got, um, you follow sports, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't follow it as much as I used to. I probably should, but like, I don't know. My interests have shifted since I've gotten older, which is super weird, but I'm cool with it. Well, there's, yeah, there's that assumption, right? That if you played the sport or liked it at one point, then you're always going to love it just as much and play well, it. Well, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still follow it from time to time, but I'm not like super. Not a fanatic. And, yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm the same way. I, uh, yeah, people still assume that I watch every game and, and uh, keep up with it and obsessed. And 
No, I was like, it's hard to be obsessed with multiple things, right? And keep up with all yeah. of it. So, um, yeah. But yeah, good days. Good days. But yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Excuse well, me. Hold on. Throat's kind of killing me. But yeah, man, uh, I appreciate you getting on. So um, I think we'll go ahead and wrap this up. I uh, really do appreciate you getting on and talking with me about everything. Um, really look forward to uh, your future endeavors with your projects and uh, whatever else you may have in the future that you don't even know about yet. So Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you've always been supportive, and uh, our friendship goes back a long way, and it's been cool to – it's cool to have a friendship that goes on for years, but it's cool to have a friendship where you can invest in each other's goals and visions and dreams, and so that's been a neat dynamic, man. So I'm grateful for you. I'm excited about the podcast, what you're doing. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to – impact a lot of people. So I'm excited for you. Cool, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, until next time, guys, y'all have a good one.